everyone and welcome to the Pet Accountant Podcast with me, your host, Vicky Clark. I'm going to help you get to grips with your finances, save you lots of money and take the stress out of doing your tax return. So let's get going. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to this week's uh, Wind Down Wednesday um, as you'll know, Lee's not with me again. He's managed to wiggle out of it again this week. Um, if you're new to the group, because we've had quite a few uh, newbies come on, uh, my name's Vicky and I run the pet accountant alongside Lee. Uh, we are an accountancy firm and we help pet businesses all across the UK. Um, every week we do a chat, whether it's just me and Lee on a finance or tax or business topic. Um, or like we've got uh, today, the lovely Megan, uh, we have guests on from various different sectors um, to help you guys out with different aspects of your business. So without further ado, uh, welcome Megan Saint from your HR handle. So hello, Megan. Hi, thanks for having me. That's all right. How are you doing? Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Good, good. I uh, was slightly distracted before we came on with the tennis. It was a very good tennis match and I was like, how was I looking? <laughs> I, uh, so I got a bit distracted. So sorry for a little bit late. Um, so just to start off with them, Megan, in case no one knows who you are, um, just give people a brief background on yourself and what it is that you actually do. Uh, and then we'll go into some more technical questions a bit later on. Yeah, okay, perfect. So yeah, I'm Megan. I'm the founder of a company called Your HR Handled. So it's a HR consultancy company that supports small businesses in the UK with anything to do with HR. Um, So that varies from, you know, writing contracts or supporting with recruitment, managing employees' performance and absence, um, right down to things such as, you know, handling redundancies and reducing headcount, workforce planning and things like that. Um, given that I work with sort of smaller businesses, it does tend to be more the contract and the policy side of things that I get involved with, um, uh, because that is such an important part um, for any small business, really, and something that often small businesses think maybe they don't need or they don't really know where to go for it. So that tends to be quite a common um, subject that I sort of help businesses with. But yeah, just generally anything to do with employees or freelancers, contractors, um, I help small businesses to manage. Fabulous. And obviously, I know you do uh, some work for us as well um, on the employment contract side um, and and handbooks, so staff handbooks. So Megan covers all of your HR needs. So if you've got staff um, or you are a subcontractor working for someone else, i.e. renting a table, then obviously this episode is going to be very relevant to you if you don't have anything in place. Um, do you work with uh, other pet businesses, Megan? I know you're in a few other groups. Yeah, so I've worked with quite a lot of pet businesses, particularly grooming businesses, some dog walking businesses, pet sitting businesses. Um, so I think you've just mentioned renting a table. That's really quite common in the dog grooming <laughs> business. Um, yeah, so, a contentious yeah. subject. It is, yeah. And I think there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding around it as well. I see sometimes in the group someone will, you know, ask a question and there'll be a, a big variety of answers on how to sort of deal with it. And I think it's because, it, as we mentioned earlier, it is a bit of a grey area. There's not a right or wrong answer as such. It's all about evaluating the risk and evaluating each different part of the employment relationship to determine what status they are. 
Yeah, and uh, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there when he was like, you get a variety of answers. It's exactly the same with us. Someone will put a tax question in, you get about 50,000 different answers, all saying like different things, and it is yeah. a bit of a minefield. Um, one thing that I do want to touch on, uh, well, actually, before I ask that question about the whole renting a table and, and contract scenario, what is important about a company having a contract? So let's just say there's a few dog groomers, dog walkers sat there who've got employees, but they don't have any sort of firm contract or they've written it themselves maybe or just got on a, a template online. Mm-hmm. But how important is that contract? So there are a few different answers that I can give to that question. And that's because it will depend on whether the person is classed as an employee or if it is a self-employed person that we're talking about or somebody that rents a table. So for employees, it's actually a legal requirement to have a contract. So you're legally required to issue a contract of employment to an employee on or before their first day of work. So if you don't currently have one, then you should have one. And I would advise to get one written up. Um, You've also mentioned there about template contracts. And I actually really dislike template contracts. (laughs) (laughs) Firstly, they're like written really complicated. And obviously, Mm. all contracts are going to have some technical jargon in them. But sometimes I'll read a template and I think I don't even know what you're trying to say with that. And I'm trained in employment law. Um, sometimes just because they have big fancy words doesn't mean that they're more legally binding or that they're more correct. So I think it's really important in a contract that firstly, the employee understands what it says, but also the employer understands what it says. Um, So, you know, if people come to me and ask to write a contract, it will have the technical jargon in it, but where possible, I will try and make it sort of easy to understand. Um, And if there is something that's a bit technical in there, then I'll make sure that I explain what that actually means to the person as well so that they understand. And I guess the reason that's important is because if you don't know what it means, you could easily breach your contract because you don't actually know what you're sort of tying yourself into. Yeah, and it's one of those things that no one, well, I don't know if people actually read them. And I think that's the problem. You know, when you buy something or or whatever and you get the terms and conditions attached and they're like, oh, do you want to read them? You're like, nah. (laughs) You do it all the time. And I'm like, nah, he needs them. And it is really important. So if you are employing someone, um, just remember, it's a legal requirement, like Megan said, to have that contract. So I'm guessing it's a legal requirement to have one, but not a legal requirement of the content. Or is, it, is there a certain content that it must have? And it's yeah, better to so- get it from like a professional rather than these templates. Yeah, so there are certain things that must be issued. And when I say it's a legal requirement to have a contract of employment, I mean, the actual term is it's a legal requirement to have a statement of employment particulars, which essentially is what we would know a contract to be. But the statement of particulars includes certain things. So, for example, you have to give information on the hours of work, the rate of pay, um, the place of work, where they're going to work, the holiday entitlement, if they're entitled to any sick pay. So legally, it has to have certain things in there. So again, if you get a template contract, I mean, you'd like to think that most of them would cover the legal requirements. But if you don't know what the legal requirements are, then you can't really cross-reference and check that you have actually got everything in there. And if it doesn't cover everything, then it's not much more use than not having a contract. Right. Is there any dodgy ones out there that people should avoid? Um, to be honest, the ones that come to me, they tend to say, oh, I've got this contract, I've got it offline, but they won't actually know where they got it from. So I wouldn't be able right. to pinpoint for a specific website and say don't use that. <laughs> um, my advice would be just don't use a template contract. 
Don't use a template. Okay, there we go. So if you are getting one or you need one, either contact Megan um, or another HR professional, but don't use the template contracts. I mean, we'd be the same. I mean, I know Lee sort of did ours. I mean, God knows where he got it from. I no idea. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's not a template. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I forgot where I was going with that that train of thought there. My mind has gone completely blank. Um Oh, Lee's just put, biggest issue we see in payroll is deductions from pay, nothing in writing that is signed. Yeah, yeah. People, don't get, people don't get things signed and don't do things properly. What about a subcontractor then? Because I don't think I've ever, I don't know anyone who has subcontractors. So, for example, dog walkers tend to have a lot of subcontractors working for them. Um, and obviously the whole rent-a-table scenario. Uh-huh. How important is it for subcontractors to also have a contract in place? So with subcontractors, it's not a legal requirement to have one. However, I would say it's just as important because the basics still stand that that's going to form the agreement and the relationship with you and that subcontractor going forwards. Um, So, you know, a subcontractor contract, for example, will also include things like a non-compete and non-solicitation clause. Now, an employee contract might have that as well, but if you have a subcontractor working with you, they actually are running a business alongside yours and they are more likely to try and steal your clients or set up in competition, you know, two miles away from you. Mm. So there are things like that where it's really important to protect your business if you're sort of the person that's hiring and engaging a subcontractor. If you're the subcontractor themselves, then it's still important to have that agreement written up as well because that will tell you exactly what you're entitled to when you can expect to be offered work what you know if you're renting a table when you can have access to that table how much you're going to have to pay to rent the table how you'll get payment so do you invoice them do they invoice you um what percentage will it be so it's really important that all those things are set out in writing and agreed because otherwise if it comes to it and you have a dispute it's literally one word against the other and how do you prove it the way in that case yeah exactly um and i say it's what about i guess from a from a looking at it from like a tax perspective you know i let's say i had a subcontractor and i'm paying them like i don't know a thousand pound a week let's say is there usually something put in the contract that says they're responsible for doing their tax return? Because that's another sort of iffy thing. If you're giving someone thousands of pounds and they're not doing their tax return or declaring it, would that somehow come back on the person that's taking on the subcontractor? Yeah. So again, that's another way you'd have to sort of protect your business. So a mm. contract for a subcontractor would say, um, that they're solely reliable for any tax in NI. And yeah, you're right. If there's not a contract in place, then there could be a dispute further down the line. Well, who was supposed to be paying the tax because nobody has. Um, so then it'll, again, it'll be about, you know, the balance of probability on who, who was understood to have been paying the tax, but there'd be no yeah. way to prove what was actually agreed. And also it's just, it might be a genuine, you know, misunderstanding and they might think that someone's paying tax for them and they're not. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just really important to have everything laid out from the start. So, you know, give it to them again before they start working um, so they know exactly what they're signing up to. And then um, if they're not happy with it, then they don't have to accept it. If they are happy with it, at least you've got evidence of what was agreed and what you're working to. 
And obviously you don't want, as well as the contract side, you don't want people stealing your customers, like you said. So you've got to protect yourself. Like I say, there's so many. I know a few of my clients that don't have um, contracts in place. I mean, we get questions all the time about, do you have like a a template contract? Um, Because I'm taking on someone and obviously we've always gone, oh God, no. Um, You know, it's not something that we're, you know, we're skilled in, we wouldn't want it to give out someone we don't want to put in it. So mm-hmm. um, it's really, really important, guys. If you do, if you are um, taking on subcontractors, whether you're a dog boarder, walker, groomer, um, to have that contract in place, not only to protect yourself, but protect them as well. Um, and like I say, if you have a falling out, you know, what's to say, especially this fine line, and I had it last week, where someone was, you know, self-employed renting a table and actually what they were being asked to do was pretty much being an employee. Mm-hmm. So then what happens then if they felt fall out and that person goes to HMRC and goes, well, actually, they've been paying me this and saying, I've got to answer the phone, saying their business, wear their clothes, groom their dogs and work set hours. Yeah. It's not really self-employed, is it? It's not. And the risk there is that, you know, if HMRC come and investigate, at least if you have a contract, you can say, no, look, this is how it works. And I mean, you'll have to make sure it does work like that in practice (laughs) as well. But it's a good sort of guide on how you should be actually doing things if you have it properly written. You can sort of use that as a instruction manual, I guess, of how to actually um, how to actually proceed with the employment relationship. But if you don't have that contract in place and they're saying, oh, yeah, I've had to do this, I've had to wear the uniform, I have to work on set days, I have to work set hours, I have to do it how they tell me to do it. You don't really have anything at that point to say, no, I didn't. It's literally just your word. Um, So the contract, again, will help in sort of providing evidence to suggest that it was self-employed if it was. So if it's one word against another, how is it usually solved then? Does it just not go anywhere because there's nothing to prove otherwise? With employment law, it's all about, so, you know, like with criminal law, it's innocent until proven guilty. Mm. You don't have to be 100% certain in employment law. It's about the balance of probability and what's, you know, reasonable to believe what's most likely. Um, And to be honest, employers, uh, HMRC are probably more inclined to agree with the subcontractor rather than sort of the business or the corporation if, if there is a he said, she said, and there's not really much evidence. Um, But, you know, they would probably be able to demonstrate pay slips or pay going into their account, invoices and stuff. And if it was for the same amount every week, then it would perhaps indicate that they did have to work set hours each week. Yeah. Um, And it may be that that was a choice, but, you know, if you don't have anything else to sort of back it up, it can make it look the other way. Yeah. So it sort of falls in the favour of the subcontractor then rather than the other person? More often than not, yeah. And that tends to be how employment law works. You know, the employer or the business tend to sort of um, be, not less favourably, but the law tends to side with the smaller party. Right. Okay. (laughs) Everyone, well, the thing is, what I found, and I don't know... um, I know Bill's on, um, I know you know Bill, you've, you've done lives in his group, is it, what's annoying is I guess some people, some employers don't realise what they're doing is wrong with the whole subcontractor renting the table thing. And you sort of think, well, fair enough, 
But then there are people out there that do it purely just to avoid employing them. And mm-hmm. that's what's frustrating is because people don't understand, like it, the same as like the finance, people don't understand the finance side. People don't understand the HR side of it either and what they're entitled to and not entitled to um, and what they should be looking for. Is there any sort of like red flags that you could point out from your experience that people maybe should have some alarm bells if they're getting asked to do certain things as far as that's concerned? Yeah, so from a sort of a subcontractor perspective, um, so if you're being told that you're self-employed, but you're then being told what hours you have to work, so you have to work set hours each week, you have to work set days, you're told how to do things. So a groomer, for example, they might have their own way of grooming. Um, they should be able to literally groom how they want to groom, using their own equipment, using their own products. Um, If you were sort of being told, no, you have to use my shampoo or you have to use, you know, my scissors, you can't use your own scissors, then that would suggest that you are actually being controlled. And that's a key indicator of whether you're self-employed or an employee is the level of control. Because if you're self-employed, the employer shouldn't have much control over you at all. Whereas if you're an employee, the employer obviously has a lot of control over, you know, what you do when you work, how much you get paid. And that's a benefit of employing someone, I guess, rather than, you know, I think everyone's first go to is I'll just get a subcontractor because, you know, employing someone's too complicated or expensive. And actually, it's not that expensive to employ someone. And if you have the knowledge behind you or speak to someone like yourself, to say, right, I'm going to take this person on. What do I need to do? The steps are fairly simple in all fairness. And, you know, I know you've done some contracts with us and, and tweaked ours. Um, you know, it's just a case of getting a hold of you and going, right, you know, this is my employee, write me a contract. And they're covered yeah. then. And I think yeah. people just have this misconception that having it like having a subcontractor is much easier than having an employee. When actual fact, it's probably the other way around because there's more you've got to be careful of with a subcontractor compared to having an employee. Yeah, I I would say that it's more difficult to have a subcontractor because with an employee, you do have the control. You know, if they're not performing, then you can deal with it. If you have a subcontractor and you've got a table rental agreement for a year and they're not performing, well, who are you to tell them they're not performing? Yeah, and they're being rude. You You can't control it. You can't do much about it. Um, you could obviously end the contract, um, but, you know, with an employee, there are steps you can take, measures you can put in place to try and improve it. And as you said, there's just, you know, there might be a risk with an employee if you have a bad employee and end up going through a dismissal process or something. There's a little bit of risk there, which tends to put people off sometimes. But yeah. actually, there's just as much risk if you're telling someone they're self-employed, but they're <laughs> actually employed. Yeah, Exactly. So you just touched on dismissal there. Is there anything, I guess the same as like hiring someone and having the contracts is a legal requirement. If you need to get rid of someone, let's just say they're underperforming or, you know, whatever, is there specific steps that they have to go down to be careful that they don't breach anything? Would it be helpful to speak to someone like yourself or can they just say, oh, actually, you've been not performing, see you later? So, um, it would depend. So obviously, if you do have a contract, you need to make sure that if you're going through any process like that, that you check your contract and that you're doing whatever it says in your contract, basically. So that'll be the first thing, check the mm-hmm. contract or, you know, your handbook and your policies. Um, this is another reason why it's a good idea to get a contract written up by a professional. So 
people may be aware, but if an employee has less than two years service, they can't claim unfair dismissal. So um, if you have a contract written by a professional, then they'll likely put something in there that states if an employee has less than two years service, you have the right to vary the disciplinary process, which essentially means that you wouldn't have to follow your full process in those first two years. And the reason behind that is that they can't claim unfair dismissal. So you don't actually have to follow a fair process. (laughs) <laughs> Which you know, it sounds awful. It sounds um, basically, you can, <laughs> in the first two years, you can do what you like with your employee. Screw them. But after two years, you have to follow. You have to follow the law. Yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't ever recommend that anybody doesn't follow a process. No. But for example, if you have a really bad employee, they've been with you say two months. You know, ideally, you've got a probationary period written into your contract. So what that means is at the end of that probationary period, and this is why you can dismiss at the end of a probationary period quite easy. You can just sort of tell them it's not working out. Um, You haven't performed to the required standard in the probationary period and therefore I'm terminating your employment. Whereas if somebody had two years service, you wouldn't be able to do that and call it a probation because you'd still have to go through a full process. Right. So, you know, people kind of think, oh, I can just get rid of them in the probation um, because they're in probation. But it's not because they're in probation. It's because they have less than two years service. Is that a fairly new thing, the less than two years service? Or has that always been the case? Um, It's not always been the case. It used to be one year. Um, The Conservatives changed it when they came into power a few years ago. It may change again in the future. Um, I'm not sure. But there has always been sort of that, um, that initial period where you can't claim unfair dismissal. And I'm not really sure why it is, Um, but, you know... Two years is an awful long time to sort of, like, not... It's essentially a two-year probation period, really. Because you're essentially saying your employer can get rid of you at any point in those two years by simply just saying, actually, you're not really working out. I mean, do they have to evidence it, or can they literally just say, "Mm, it's not really working out, we're terminating your contract? So you should evidence it, but they can't bring a claim. So, you know, who are they going to take it to? Um, but that so, being said, I don't want to sort of promote that, you know, businesses no. do because people um, can still claim discrimination from day one. And there are some automatically unfair reasons, which well, again, you can claim from day one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're dismissing somebody within the first two years and you don't follow a process and you've dismissed them for absence, but then you find out that they were absent because they had a disability then they could bring a claim because you've discriminated against them. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, you've got to be careful and, you know, make sure you've got all the information to hand before you make any rash rash decisions. Yeah. So even in those first two years, still follow a process, but you just don't necessarily have to go through the whole verbal warning, written warning, final written warning. So I think that's important for people to keep in mind if they are going down the self-employed route because they think that, once they've got an employee, they're stuck with them, even if they're really, really bad, because they're not. And, you know, if, you, if you're willing to manage an issue, then you can resolve it just as easily with an employee as you can self-employed. And, and I know you do sort of like ad hoc um, consultancy, don't you? If someone did have a bit of a rogue employee, um, that you can help them with that process. Yeah, so we've had one of helped. I think they were a groomer, actually. Um she had an employee that had basically raised a complaint against her. So um, the employer reached out to me and asked if I could get involved because it wouldn't be right for her to sort of deal with the complaint because it was about her <laughs> like, <health. yeah. laughs> um, Take yourself into a room and just talk to yourself, you bad boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 
yeah there are things like that and then you know if you do have an issue with an employee's absence then you know I can help with the meetings for that help with redundancies um we've mentioned Bill earlier I think it's on the call we do appraisals with his team um every year just so that we can see where they are any targets that we need to set and things like that so it's not all negative stuff there are some positives as well yeah, just getting a little juicy gossip now, all the, all the bad stuff. Um, there's been a few comments um, Lee did put on there. I don't know why Lee always comments on these lives but can't be asked to get on here and actually be in the conversation, honestly. Um, so he's put, yeah, but they can claim for discrimination literally as you said that. Um, so, yes, just be careful that you do have all the facts. Um Bill's just put, um, seek proper advice instead of uh, listening to the hairdresser down the road and do things properly. I think, yeah, Lisa's put his lazy, he is lazy. Um, <laughs> and that, that is a really important one, whether it's whatever it's to do with, is please, 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 I can't stress this enough, seek professional advice and don't just go off, you know, willy-nilly off Facebook of someone's put that you know someone who knows someone who knows someone who didn't have a contract or wrote their own or whatever um and I think that um you know it goes as well with the finance stuff you know please 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 that's the reason why we do these groups have you you've got a Facebook group haven't you Megan or about not yes I have yeah I need to invite you (laughs) yeah you need to so we'll, we'll put your link to that group as well so um people can go into your group if they do have employees and they need a bit of help and advice. Um, So yes, don't seek advice off people willy-nilly down the street or your neighbour. Please, please, please go to a professional, especially with the HR side, because you do not want to find yourself in a sticky wicket, um, getting accused of bloody discrimination and all sorts, because that is going to be an uncomfortable conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Another comment, uh, I think people are fearful of employing people and they worry about the payroll and taxes. Again, that puts people off. And I don't know why. I mean, I think me and Lee have done loads of podcasts on payroll and, and hiring someone and the benefits. And it really isn't that bad. It's, it's very easy to set up. And I think, like you said, it's probably more iffy to have someone on a subcontractor basis because you've got less control than it would be just to directly employ them in the first place. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think there's just as much risk, if not more. Yeah. Um, there was, her pills has put his Lee within his two years. Uh, yes, he is within his two years, and I might sack him. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, we have got a, a shareholders agreement written up, so I can't get I can't get rid of him, unfortunately, unless he does something naughty. So if people <laughs> can entice Lee to do something naughty, and then I can get rid of him. Um, I mean, again, the contracts, another thing, you know, me and Lee went into that merger and we didn't have to get a contract, but we did get one drawn up properly so that we each had our own rights as as far as the business is concerned. And uh, actually, weirdly, one of the things in there, because the solicitor said, well, if you have a disagreement, who's going to like who's going to be the third person to sort of have the deciding vote? We don't know because there's only two of us. <laughs> so it's actually written into the contract that we have to flip a coin. Oh, really? Yeah, he actually <laughs> he actually wrote in there, if we can't decide and we're both arguing, then we have to solve it by flipping a coin and whoever wins, wins, and that's the end of it. But who flips the coin? Well, that's a, very, that's a very good question. I don't know. We'd have to get an independent person to flip the coin and yeah. pick heads or tails. So I've snickily got one that has two heads on either side. So I'm always going to win. 
Um, but luckily we've not, uh, yeah, at least as part of I've already got my double-headed coin on order. Luckily we've not had a disagreement yet, touch wood. Um, oh, good. <laughs> but we did have um, some questions. Now this is, I did this last time, I went on my phone and then I lost all sound. Um, I'm going to just try and do it and hopefully it doesn't disconnect off here and then go on my phone. Is there any sort of differences as far as employment contracts concerned with the age of the person? No. So there shouldn't be any difference at all because that could be deemed discrimination based on age. Um, No, as in like, I don't mean in that sense. I mean like a 16-year-old, you know, is is that sort of different depending on Ah, how they are? Ah, okay, I see what you you mean. Yeah, so if they were a young worker, for example, then you'd need different things in there because they're entitled to different breaks. They can only work during certain hours. So, I mean, the general terms of the contract would be pretty similar, um, but there would be some additions for, you know, a young worker or if somebody was an apprentice as well. I mean, an apprentice can be any age, but again, there'd be some differences in an apprentice contract to just a, a normal employee contract. Because they've got different rules and things, haven't they? Yeah, but again, they'd be quite similar because ideally you want an apprentice to be on your terms and conditions as well, um, okay. but just a few additions, I guess. Uh, and I'm guessing if, I mean, I know an apprentice is uh, very popular in this industry. Um, I'm assuming if someone came to you and they had an apprentice, you could do the contracts for those as well. Yeah, I've done a lot of apprentice contracts. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a very popular thing. Um, it is, yeah, very so popular I, in your industry. <laughs> it is. I don't know whether you may be able to answer this, but someone made a comment on, on the post that I put on earlier that's saying that you were coming on. Um, it's from Hazel. She's put, um, I have a lovely new qualified groomer in who was going to rent a table on a daily rate. She's still building up a client base. In the meantime, I thought I could let her groom some of our dogs on a fee sharing basis, does anyone else do this? Um, do you know a rate? Um, it's my equipment just now and I have to help her finish some breeds too. It helps me out having time to do some admin and saves me turning new dogs away. Now that again is a bit of a Yeah, so the key thing there is determining is it true self-employment or not? So um did it so if helping with the dogs is she fully trained because if that's another indicator that someone's perhaps not self-employed if they're not fully trained and newly qualified newly qualified so she should be able to do the work by herself so she shouldn't need someone to be finishing the dogs for her if she's self-employed mm-hmm. um so again it's I, a bit of that gray it's a bit of that gray area isn't it if she's sort of renting a table but helping out with the person's dogs and using their equipment yeah you'd need to be careful on that one so what I'll do Mm. I'll look in the comments after and I'll message you directly Hazel and find out a bit more information and then oh she's on Hazel's on (laughs) hi Hazel yes um yeah Uh, Hazel I'll get Megan to to um DM you privately because there's probably going to be something there's going to be quite a lot of questions rather than being a simple straightforward answer um so Megan is tagged on that Hazel so I'll get her to to give you um an email or a message just put thanks by the way because I don't know if you can see the comments Megan um, no I can't but okay <laughs> um Bill has got a good question um is employment law the same in England Wales and Scotland generally yes 
Um, it can differ slightly in Scotland. I mean, there are some things that can differ in Wales as well, but Scotland tends to be the one that's a little bit more different. Apprenticeships, for example, are completely different in Scotland. Um, so it depends on what it is. But yeah, generally there can be variations between them. So you've got to be careful. Yeah. You know, like the main laws such as discrimination or unfair dismissal, they will be the same. But then there will be sort of like caveats within the laws where different things differ. Is that two year two year thing the same in England, Scotland and Wales? Yeah. Okay. Um Hazel's just put she is uh, in Scotland. So there we go. Okay, that's good to know. We should never assume that everyone's in England because we've got people all over the place. Um, right, we've got a few people on. Has anyone got any questions you'd like to, to fire at Megan um, before we go? I really hope um, that it's been helpful. And, and thank you so much, Megan, for, for giving up your free time on a Wednesday evening. Um, yeah. And hopefully, I mean, it's such an important topic. Like I said, we've done so many podcasts on employing people and payroll and what they should look out for and the difference between employed and subcontractors and I'm hoping this is going to go towards making people think about what it is they need and making sure that they're doing things properly and legally because what we don't want um, is obviously people doing things uh, wrong without realising because I'd say people pay so much money to especially for like dog groomers and dog trainers and things like that on their training but they don't actually get taught this sort of stuff yeah business side and I think if you've worked and if you've been employed your whole life then suddenly go self-employed and you've done really well and you get an employee like how the hell are they supposed to know what to do yeah and I think that's a really yeah it's a really important point and like I think some people are sometimes scared to reach out so for example if they haven't got a contract and they've had an employee for three years I think they're sometimes worried to reach out because they feel like they might be judged but I would never judge someone based on that because you know you don't know what you don't know and it's not their fault that they don't know like I've trained for a long time to get this knowledge of you know HR and employment law so I don't expect a dog groomer or a dog walker to have that specific knowledge either so I would really encourage anybody that is maybe a little bit reluctant to reach out because they're worried they'll be judged or they're worried that they've done something wrong it literally doesn't matter like it just matters that moving forward you've got everything in place that you need exactly and it's the same with us you know we don't expect people to know how to do you know, tax returns or record their expenses or do bookkeeping or, you know, sort the software out because it's not something that they're trained in doing. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Um, the key thing is to to reach out and get some help and hopefully this uh, live and podcast will, will help people and hopefully um, if, you know, we've got clients, we send them your way and you know, we'll put Megan's details on the group um, and also a link to her group. So if you are thinking of employing someone who have some contractors or it's something you just want to have a bit of an idea on, then obviously we'll put all of Megan's details uh, in the group. Um, I haven't had any questions come through, so I will let you go crack on with your Wednesday evening, Megan. Uh, I'm sure we'll probably have you on at some point again in the near future. Um, and yeah, just thanks for your time and thanks for giving, giving away your pearls of wisdom. <laughs> no problem thank you for having me <laughs> right. no worries so as always guys uh myself and lee hopefully if you stop being lazy um we'll be back next week um for some more finance tips uh we've got a few bits of news to share with you uh, and we'll be back next wednesday 
um, at the usual time of 6pm. And as always, you can catch up on all of our podcasts. Um, it is aptly named The Pet Accountant Podcast, so not too different. Um, and yeah, have a good week. Stay safe. Um, and if you've got any questions, pop them in the group or uh, drop us an email. But uh, thanks again, Megan, uh, for your time. And hopefully we'll catch up soon and just pop all your details in the group for us. Yes, all day. Thank you. Bye. All right, no worries. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed my podcast, don't forget to subscribe for me. And if you want to speak to me, please visit my website at www.petaccountant.co.uk. And if you'd like to join my Facebook group, which is full of like-minded pet professionals, then search Accounting for Pet Professionals in Facebook and I will see you there.